Kia ora and welcome uh, to the Coaches Corner podcast. Thanks for picking this episode uh, because for those coaches that have been turning up to our coaching courses, our foundation courses or our DRC courses, you'll be very familiar with, with our um, guest today. His name is James Nottingham. He's a renowned educator and the creator of The Learning Pit. So thank you for joining us today, James. It's a delight to be with you, Ricky. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you accepted the invitation because I think, like I've mentioned, we've been using the the learning pit for a number of years now um, here at Canterbury Rugby around uh, how kind of people learn and and more importantly how the younger generation learn um, and what the learning pit has done is it's brought in a sense of awareness to some of our coaches and so hopefully today's conversation is probably where um, we will try to to lead that but it'd be interesting well for me but also our listeners like if you could take us on a journey around like becoming an educator and then the genesis behind the learning pit and its processes sure um well my journey in becoming an educator was I hated school, absolutely loathed it. I got uh, expelled from two high schools. I was one of those naughty kids. Um, I mean, two months after I started high school, my mother died and I, I went off the rails. And you know how it goes, you get labeled as a naughty kid or whatever. Yeah. And you kind of live up to that label, you know? And I hated it. And I stuffed up my exams as a result and thought, well, now what do I do? So I bummed around a bit, pig farming, worked in a chemical factory. And then um, there was um, a bunch of mates were heading down to South Africa. This was in 1989 to do some charity work in some squatter camps outside of Cape Town. And I thought, got to be better than working in this flaming factory. (laughs) And off I went. And one of the things we did was work in a school. And there was 500 kids that would turn up to that school. And in a class, you'd have a classroom where there would literally be babes in arms all the way through to 20-somethings and every age in between. And they were there to learn. I mean, not the babes in arms, but everybody was there to learn. And I thought, what's this? And I... I found I built a rapport with the kids really quickly, and I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I'll work with kids. And I, when I got back to the UK, there was a job going in a school for deaf children as a sports coach. And um, so, now you tell me when it is, because I'm very sorry to say that I'm a bit more of a fan of the round ball rather than the egg shape. But um, I think it was was it ninety one was the Rugby World Cup, would that work? Oh, yes, yeah. Would that work in the years? Yeah. And um, uh, Team GB or whatever they call them, the, the, the Lions, were giving away kit everywhere, everywhere. And there was just money pouring in. And this school that I worked at, I mean, the kids were just insanely fit, but they were totally football obsessed. And then we got given these rugby balls. Uh, we'll have a go at that. Yeah. See what that's like. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, in that part of Yorkshire, um, it was just the private schools that played rugby. I mean, if you go out 
to the West, you'll find a lot of rugby league, but, you know, rugby union tends to be sort of private school stuff, certainly in Yorkshire. And so uh, we, we got in touch with these private schools. They look, we've got these deaf kids who want to play rugby. They've only just started. What do you reckon? And they were like, well, so they would send out their under-13s to play our under-15s. You know, they were that sort of, shall we say, uh, lack of modesty. Yeah. And uh, we whooped them. We absolutely whooped them. And th- these hearing kids couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, all these deaf kids were just like running rings around them. And it was just, it was a, it was a moment. It was a proper moment. And I loved it and I would would still be doing it. But uh, the nuns who run the school, they said, James, maybe they thought I was a sinner or something, but they kept trying to force me out. Go, go on, you've got to go and train to be a teacher. And I got into teacher training because of my experience, not because of my qualifications. And uh, the first day of teacher training, the guy said, uh, right, I want you to see that mountain. I want you to climb to the top of the mountain, sit at the top and work out where you are. And I'll see you tomorrow. And that was it. And I was like, is this university? So off we went and got to the top and... Yeah, I looked around and thought, well, I like this. But the following day, his questioning was astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. And uh, uh, so by then I would have been 22. Can you remember Can you remember yeah, like, Well, so, well, where are you? And, you know, one of them said, well, we're in the north of England. Right, so where's that? And up north. And one of the fellows said, no, not down south, because he was Scottish. He was a, he was a southerner to me, and that, like the Northern English lad and lasses, like they they, they bristled at that because you know if you really want to annoy somebody from the north of England, call them a southerner. I mean, it properly winds them up, <laughs> you know. And we're like, well, is it in the north? Is it in the south? And then, of course, didn't we have a Norwegian there? And she was saying, well, you're all southerners, even you Scots. So it was just like. What do you mean? And it's like, and we got into identity and we got into who are you? And then it got into, so what's a teacher then? And it was fascinating because so many were saying, well, you know, here to change the world. Well, yeah, but what are you going to change? You know, and then it turned out that a lot of them were there because they'd succeeded at school and it felt as if they were ready just to, to keep it going keep this system going. And there was a few of us, myself included, who were thinking, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't actually work. It certainly doesn't work for a lot of us. So how are we going to change it? It was absolutely fascinating. So I would have been 22, and I honestly would say that it's probably the first time I thought properly intellectually. And this guy just turned my sense of learning upside down because he was saying, it's not what you know, it's, it's how you know it and how you think. And yes, knowledge is important, but we've got to think about how we use that knowledge and where it came from and how we trust it. And and the same can be said for, for, for performance, you know? Yes, you can use those tactics. Yes, you can, you've got good skills, but are they the right skills? Where do they come from? And where are we going with it? And really, deeply thinking about who are you you know who are you as a player who are you as a teacher who are you as a coach and it was 
yeah, it was dramatic, really dramatic. And I've been on a mission ever since, really, to yeah. particularly interested in the kids that don't suit school. You know, I've I've got three of my own kids, and one, the eldest, she's a grade student because school suits her. She's worked it out. She's worked it out, and she's flying, and she's thinking about reading history and English at St Andrews. I mean, I'm thinking, what? <laughs> one of my progeny going to St Andrews? I mean, come on! And in fact, what the school said, no, you you should apply to Oxford. And she says, oh, I might apply for the lols. And I'm like. You don't apply to Oxford or Cambridge for the lols, but, you know, so she's worked school out, but my son, you know, I don't want to say he's following in my footsteps, but my son, yeah, I mean, you know, he's on the autistic spectrum. He's just uh, got a diagnosis of ADHD. School just wrecks him, absolutely wrecks him. If we can get through a week where there isn't some big trauma, we're doing well, Yeah, you know? Um but rugby, I mean, we, where we live, it's, it's, it's fascinating, actually, absolutely fascinating, because I live on the border between England and Scotland. We are the border town. And in the southern part of Scotland, you're born with a rugby ball at your feet. I mean, they are ob- not as obsessed as you Kiwis, but, you know, not far off. Yeah. But in northern England, it's all football. So... So there we are. Our town is half English, half Scottish. Can you imagine when England plays Scotland at rugby? I mean, you go to the rugby club, it's just insane. Absolutely insane. But maybe we'll get into this later, Ricky. I don't know, but it's fascinating watching because our our youth teams get royally stuffed week in, week out. I mean, we, we just get... The floor is wiped with us because our town, half English, half Scottish, the families who identify as English, they go play football. And the families who identify as Scottish go play rugby. So already you've got half your population looking to the sport, not the whole population to choose from. Yeah. And then you're playing against teams who and I don't know why we ever do this, but if we play rugby, we play against the Scottish teams, and if we play football, we play against the English teams. If we just reversed it, we'd, we'd be, be world beaters. Yeah, like, you know. And then, but it's really weird because up to up to maybe under thirteens, under fourteens, we just get stuffed week in, week out. But by the under fifteens, under sixteens, we're starting to like really properly show what we're made of. And uh, we're actually the Southeast Scottish champions for the under 18s. Yeah. So I don't know if it's maybe if you spend your whole childhood, get absolutely stuffed. Maybe you've just got so much rage in you or so much determination or so much willingness to just go at it and never let your head drop. That, well, like, yeah, it's funny, just... like hearing, hearing that. And I'm, I'm looking at your um, performance pit at the moment. Yeah. Is that is that where it is? Is that that when you get to the back end of it, those under 18s, they've gone through all that adversity, they've gone through all those challenges, they've trialed an error, that they've seen those frustrations, and then they're coming out the other end a a better player to able to play up against a comp like a, a competitor that's that's evenly matched. Yes. And like you said, these kind of the the English kids that are born with a football at at their feet, but if they're playing 
rugby, it's going to be foreign to them or maybe they've picked it up a little bit later in terms as the Scots who, you're right, traditionally are bred to play play rugby. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. So we'll we'll come round to Learning Pit, I'm sure. But for me, there's, there's two really, really significant... Um, questions that we should ask ourselves when it comes to challenge. Um, and I've just finished writing a new book and been fascinating really dipping into the meta-analyses about challenge. Number one is, is it worth it? You will engage in challenge if you think it's worth it. So... Like I'm in my fifties now, so you know I don't really do an awful lot of contact sport because I just end up injured. <laughs> but but you know I, I swim, and that's my thing. And I swim two k most days when I'm at home, and it's boring. Forty minutes up and down. Up and down. It's not like playing a game where it's competitive, you're having a laugh with your mates and so on. It's just up and down, up and down. It's boring and it hurts because your lungs are hurting, your muscles are hurting. So why do I do it? Well, because to me, it's worth it. It's worth it because it means I can eat what I want and more importantly, I can drink what I like, you know. <laughs> so long as you do put the exercise in, you'd be right. Um so that's worth it. But I'm sorry, Ricky, I'm sure you're very charming and I'm, so, I'm sure you've got powers of persuasion, but you ain't going to persuade me to join your rugby team. It's just not worth it to me because the risks of getting injured or even just say, well, just come and join practice and we do a lot of running and such. Ricky, mate, it's, it, it's just not... I, running is not worth it to me because my knees are bad enough. My back is even worse. So... It would just make things worse. And so, no, I know you You can tell me you've got all your mates through rugby, that it's inspired you, that it's that it's your life, that it's healthy, that it's um, character. You can tell me everything you like, Ricky, but it's not worth it to me because I don't see the game. And we have to keep bearing in mind that people engage in challenge so long as they think it's worth it. Now, for kids, they're not taking that long-term view. They're just taking, do I enjoy it? And and also, not only do I enjoy it, but wrapped up in that, am I going to be successful at it? They don't have to be world beaters, but they have to have a sense that I'm going to, yeah, I'll be all right. Yeah. You know? Sorry, you are going to ask a question? Yeah, just with that, is is it worth it piece? If you then decide that it's not worth it, because then it all... Like I'm th- as soon as you said that, and you're like, "Well, it's just not worth it to me doing that." Is it? Are you having, a, or have you got a growth mindset around around that? Like, is it a fixed mindset, or is even, or is it kind of more fluid? Or is that what you're thinking around challenges? That challenges are more fluid. It's not whether or not you have a fixed mindset or a or a growth mindset. It's just for me in this moment, in this point of time, is is it actually worth me doing something that I want to do there? You're not closed off to the idea. You just don't want to. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned growth mindset. I, I, I know Carol Dweck well, and pre-pandemic, she and I would go on tour together many times. And fixed mindset 
is in effect in the context you're talking about it's saying i dare not because i fear failure i dare not because i risk embarrassment whereas growth mindset is i want to and i reckon i'll figure it out so in a growth mindset it doesn't mean to say you do everything I, I, you know i'm in a growth mindset when it comes to a lot of things not everything i'm sure but i'm in a growth mindset with a lot of things but i still say no to lots in fact i say no to more now than i ever used to and, and maybe that's actually you know the growth mindset of being willing to say no family first or no it's my health first or no it's my own personal time first you know so growth mindset isn't about saying yes to everything it's about if you want to play rugby in a fixed mindset you'd be saying yeah but what about if i fail what about if i'm not good enough what about if people make fun of me what about if i'm not one of the best whereas in a growth mindset you'll think just imagine the fun i'll have just imagine how good i'll feel just imagine like getting better so it's that sense of I suppose in a fixed mindset, you're looking for reasons why you won't be able to. You're looking at what the dangers ahead. Whereas in a growth mindset, you're looking at what's the benefits. You're looking at what could I do next. And that's really powerful. Really, really, really powerful. Yeah. And so I might even say that it's likely that. In a growth mindset, you think more is worth it than if you're in a fixed mindset. Yeah. Because that's the second bit about challenge is if you are challenged, your performance will drop. It's going to hurt. I mean, you know, it's a cliche, but short-term pain for long-term gain. I know it's a cliche, but you know what? Cliches, generally speaking, have a grain of truth. They, they tend to be a bit simplistic, which why we call them a cliche, but they tend to be true. And your performance is going to drop. If you say to your players, right, we're going to do it this way instead. We're going to try a new approach here. Their performance is going to drop. Of course it is. But they've got to trust you and they've got to think it's worth it. They've got to know that, yeah, Ricky knows what he's doing though. Ricky knows, he's got it in his head that, you know, we're doing this to become better players. Yeah, can we we're zoom, doing this. Can we zoom in there just for a quick second around around that? So we see it all the time when we're out in at our community and we're watching coaches coach that they'll challenge their players and then they'll they see the the dip in performance because it, you're right, it one hundred percent is there. How come then? Well, not even how come, but based on your experience as as an educator, and, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of lessons and and a lot of coaches do their thing. Why do coaches get so upset around when we see that lack of performance, and why? And I guess why is our blinkers on when we see that we've faced given these players the challenge and that performance drop that we're just like, well, why are they not getting it? Like, because well, that's that is a big 
Mm. But I'm sure that probably happens in education as well when teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's so many things in there, Ricky, so many things. Um, if I can go back a stage then, first of all, I created the learning pit mainly, not entirely, but mainly because I knew that, and I, I maybe wouldn't have called it a performance dip, but in effect, I knew that you get worse before you get better. And... I noticed my students got disheartened when they did get worse and they gave up. And I said, well, no, listen, the thing is, if you are going to learn something new, whether it's math or English or rugby or whatever it is, if you're going to learn something new within those domains, you're going to get worse before you get better. Now, this, the school that I created it in, I mean, it was an absolute hotbed of football. I said, you know, if you if I start uh, saying kick with your, your weaker foot, a lot of you are going to get seriously frustrated. What's going to happen to your performance when you do that? But keep going and going and going and going, and you become what they call two-footed player. You know, you become almost twice as good. Use either foot for shooting, either foot for passing, either foot for controlling. I mean, it's... It's pretty straightforward, but you have to know that you're going to get worse. You have to know we are going to get worse before we get better. And I wasn't trying to frighten the kids. I was just trying to, you know, that idea of forewarned is forearmed. You know, I got, I, I got to let them know. Um, I, you know, I was just saying to some teachers yesterday, could you imagine, I mean, heaven forbid, but can you imagine if we have another pandemic? We're going to be so much better prepared for it. We will know what we're doing. We'll be at it straight away. We will pivot much quicker than we did. Much, much quicker than we did back in 2020. And I'm not saying learning is like a pandemic, but I am saying if you have a sense of what's coming, you're a bit more ready for it. And so that's what the learning pit is. It's the way to explain to young people. I mean, use it with anybody you know it appeared in the financial times in the uk recently you know so it's not just for kids but i created it for kids to say listen we're gonna get worse before we get better but stick at it and so long as you work at it so long as you work at it we will come out the other side we will come out the other side. And another thing that I was working with the teachers on yesterday is instead of helping kids to succeed, help them to overcome challenges. Yeah, I really I really like that bit there that you said around as long as you work at it. We recently talked to um, a friend of mine who's a jet pilot instructor and a lot of their um, processes around instructing is they'll do some stuff, but the pilots have to be kind of almost self-motivated for their own learning to get better. And they're not going to kind of yes. speed or drag these um, drag these pilots along to get them to where they need to get to be. They That's, that's up to their mm. motivation. And there was a conversation that we had around um, – the performance pit because we talked around introducing the coach to the to the illustration and and what came through um through our dialogue around that was 
it's not the it's not completely up to the coach to pull them out of the pit. It's how it's around them to guide them guide them out of the pit. And so for our coaches, can you take me through the steps of the performance or the learning pit and then kind of why you came up with those those topics or those points? Yeah. So if if I could refer for a moment to the the, the pilot analogy there. I think that speaks very, very much to culture because the culture of training to be a pilot is uh, what Matthew Said calls um, black box thinking. You know, where the, they've done a training exercise, but not even a training, any flight. And then they'd go through the black box information to see where were the near misses, what could we have done better? And it's very, very, very ingrained into the culture of training to be a pilot is you pour over these stats to work out where's the improvements, what can we do to get better? And so signing up to become a pilot, you're signing up to a culture where there's a lot of introspection, there's a lot of examination, there is a lot of high expectations and so culture makes a huge difference culture in your your rugby setup culture in a school setup culture in a pilot school setup it it makes a huge difference and i think too many uh, so-called learning situations are all about just getting the kids to succeed just and if that means you give them a piggyback if that means you kind of do it for them then they succeed and that's why i was saying yesterday we have to pivot away from this idea of succeed at all costs to help them overcome challenges because it's the overcoming challenges that will build their sense of efficacy there it will build their sense of i've got this i can figure it out and it's back to that phrase again that i mentioned when talking about growth mindset i'll figure it out and we've got to get our players, our students, our colleagues to believe that they can figure it out. So when, uh, to go to the stages of the learning pit then, if we take that, what should we say, take that mission to teach them how to overcome challenge. If that's the mission, then First of all, we've got to introduce challenge. The challenge can't be so far in the distance that you've got no chance at all. It's got to be challenge enough that you think, right, if I try every single thing that I can, use every ounce of my focus, dedication, effort, skill, then I might be able to get pretty close. That's, That's the Goldilocks principle of challenge um there's a some very nice research on it's looking at an 80 20 split so you should be able to manage about 80 percent of a task so long as and i don't mean easily i mean so long as you marshal all your resources all your physical mental uh, psychological time resources use them brilliantly you should be able to nail about 80 percent, and 20 percent should be beyond you 
this is in a learning situation. Yeah. In a performance, if you can nail everything, happy days. But in a learning situation. So so back to the learning pit. I have to get them willing to engage in challenge. Because if I don't get them engaged in challenge, in other words, if I don't get them out of their comfort zone, they're not going to A, they're not going to extend their their skills or their aptitudes or their abilities. I'm not going to get them to do that unless I challenge them. But B, by getting them to engage in challenge, it gives them the possibility to overcome that challenge. You see, I don't want to put kids in the pit and leave them there, but I don't want to avoid the pit either. I want to get them into the learning pit and then build the possibilities so that they learn how to come through the pit and out the other side. And so the stages are, first of all, step one is identifying, well, what we're starting with. Are we starting with a skill here? Are we starting with a body of knowledge? Are we starting with a concept? Are we starting with a tactic? What are we starting with? And we introduce that and we familiarize it or remind them of it. So that's stage one. We've got to, we've got to get some context. But then stage two is we do whatever it is as a coach or a teacher. We do what we need to do to get them into the learning pit. And that means taking them beyond where they are now. So in the situation I mentioned my first day of teacher training, it was intellectually sort of taking us beyond where we had ever thought before and caused us to think in a different way and, and to confuse us, in effect. In a, a coaching or sports coaching situation, it's likely that you're going to be trying a new tactic or trying a new formation, trying a new skill, but or trying the same skill, but in a different way, or trying adjusting the timing or and so on. So you're going to take them from where they know what they're doing into the pit where they're really not sure now. Now they're thinking, well, what the hell? You know, uh, this is really frustrating and I don't know how to do it. And, 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 and then a lot of kids will say, too hard, Ricky. This is too hard. And they say, well, mate, it, is it? What, can, what have you done before? What can you, what can you use now? What, what are some of the steps you can put into place to get yourself through this? Not back, not hitting reverse. It's what can we do to get through it? Now, I don't want to embarrass you or me by trying to pretend I know enough about rugby to give you an example there. But in in a in a learning in the classroom situation, I'm thinking right. Okay, are we talking sequence here? Do, do, could you look at the sequence that you use putting things, or is it the strategy that you're using now? Could you use a different strategy? Or do you remember last month when we we took all our ideas and we lifted them and then we grouped them according to what would definitely work and what would sometimes work and what would almost never work? Would that help here right now? And so what we've got to do is coach them to be problem solvers and coach them to be learners because what we have to have, we have to have, is them being brilliant learners, learners of the game, learners of the sport, and so on. So that then, over time, they and we're giving them advice, we're giving them 
support. We're giving them encouragement, but we're not doing it for them. Yeah, to me that sounds and a that lot. That brings them out of the pit. Yeah, to me that sounds a lot like the ability or the the person's ability to problem solve the scenario or the situation that they're faced and troubleshoot their way out of. Well, I'm going to say out of trouble. So if we think around it in rugby terms, they're in a situation um, and they need to get out of it. They need to be able to troubleshoot or problem solve on the fly. What is the best response to what's what's happening? And that's kind of your your example, right? Like, here's this math quiz. Um, what kind of what things do you what equations or what solutions are you going to use to try and help come up with the with the answer yes. and and all that type of stuff? Because there's no yes. there's plenty of way that you can that you can cut a pizza, but there's no you know, there's no real wrong way just as long as everybody gets the, the same amount of, it's just the problem of like, yes. is everybody going to get an even slice or do you just need to have six slices to to give to six different people? So, um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and it's, it's part of it, I think, is about being super clear. You should be able to, as a coach, you should be able to break it down Break all these steps down. You should be able to um, help these these players know what are the 20 different variables that we're playing with that together, clicked and meshed together, create outstanding performance. It's not enough to say, when I recognize it, I praise it. And when I see that it's not good, I tell them to try harder. We have to break it down much, much more so that you see, uh, Ricky, are you uh, are you any good in the kitchen? Are you a bit of a chef, or are you well? You and, like and, and, and a previous life of mine, I was I was a chef for for about ten years, so I I know what to oh, do. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Excellent. Right. Okay. Well, that's a, that. This works brilliantly then. So, you see, if if you and I meet up and we're going to have a meal, then if it's my turn to cook, my advice is eat out because I'm a disaster, an absolute disaster. And you say, well, James, come on, just you know, make a nice meal. Be right. It's straightforward. It's easy enough. You know, just put a bit of this in, bit of that in, whisk it round. Happy days. Bang it on the stove. You'd be right. No, I'm sorry, Ricky, that just doesn't work for me. You've got to give me the recipe. Give me the recipe and I'll follow it. And you might still need to encourage me. and You might still need to draw my attention to certain things. But if I follow the recipe, then then I've got a chance of making something pretty good. But for you, Ricky, you've learned the recipe. You've learned a thousand recipes. And I bet you, you don't follow the recipes now. I bet you are the sort of, you know, bit of this, bit of that, taste it. Oh, I need a bit more of this. And you keep going until you've created something astonishing. Now, if I watch you do that, I don't have a bloody clue what you're doing. Other than you're working your magic. Other than I'm in awe. Other than I'm thinking, I can't wait to taste this meal. But am I learning from you what to do? No. I'm enjoying your spirit. I'm enjoying your talent, but I'm not learning from you. But if you say, right, James, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking about. This is how I'm prepping. This is why I'm putting this spice with that. 
And this is why I'm I'm making sure that the heat is low to begin with, and then I uh, then it's like, and so you explain it to me, then I've got a chance of learning. And the thing with coaching is we have to break it down to where the kids are at, so that they can. It's not enough for me to watch you in the kitchen. I will not get it. But another good chef will watch you and think, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why you did it that way. And then you have a conversation and then you you talk about, well, yeah, but could have done it this way. Well, could have done it that Oh, have you tried this? And you two expert chefs, you're great. Away you go. So we've got to be really clear also about where, where are the kids at and what are we giving them so that it makes sense to them. That's, that's a real, like for me, like that's a really visceral image because it would not, it's a real life situation as well. Cause my partner is terrified. Well, not terrified. She's very reluctant to cook dinners um, when it's, when it's her turn because she was just like, you're a chef and you're a better cook and you do it a lot faster and, and this, that. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. and to me, in my mind and the way that it looks, I'm just like, it's, just cooking like it's a little bit of heat it's a little bit of salt and pepper and it's a little bit of whatever you feel like on it isn't, day. Yeah. And she's i'm with like, her i'm with your partner right <laughs> tell her she's got a fan in me right yeah and and she'll do almost everything she can especially if i'm in the house to not have to to allow me to cook it and and when you said that of like, if I broke it, cause she's an educator as well. She's a primary school teacher. And so I, that's probably the bit that I miss. I'm like, you've watched me cook so many times. I've seen you cook, but I've never actually explained why or what I'm doing things in the purpose of doing that. Yeah. But yet when I'm out coaching, like I'm, I wouldn't say I'm all about the detail, but I make sure that I give the reason why and, and what we're doing and and why it's going to be important and yeah. some of the things that you might see and notice, but and how to potentially troubleshoot your way out of it. But yeah, on the other side of the when it comes to cooking, I'm autopilot. I don't I don't even think about it like that for anybody else watching. Um, yeah. which is such a yeah 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 such a great point. Yeah, yeah. Um, forgive me for going back to the round ball again, but um, I read a biography of the Charlton brothers, uh, Bobby and Jack Charlton, who uh, both played in the one and only time that England won the World Cup in 66. And they come from a town just a few miles from me. And um, Bobby Charlton was regarded as the most gifted player of his generation. I mean, he was astonishing. You know, he played for Manchester United and he was an absolute icon. And Jack Charlton was a bit of a donkey, they referred to. He was just dirty, dirty leads and he just hoofed the ball and broke the play down. And he was there to destroy the the opposition's play, whereas Jack uh, Bobby Charlton was there to create magic. They both went into coaching. Bobby, the gifted, most gifted player of his generation, was a complete disaster. Complete disaster. Because he just could not understand why all the other players couldn't put a ball on a sixpence. He couldn't understand. Look, just do this. <laughs> and he couldn't break it down. He couldn't explain it. 
it, for him, it was so natural, so normal, so much like you breathing in the kitchen. It's just how, how you do it. He couldn't break it down. Whereas Jack was a student of the game. He studied it and studied it and studied it. And he grafted and he worked out different systems. And now he has the keys to Ireland because he took Ireland the furthest they'd been in decades yeah. in the World Cup. I mean, astonishing. And he is an absolute god in Ireland for what he, he managed to do with them. And yet, he wasn't the best of players, but he was a stunning coach because of that detail, because he understood what it was like to go through the learning pit, because he was able to break it down and say, right, listen, lads, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to break it down. And yeah, I get it. I get that you're struggling here. So how about trying it in this way? Right, okay. It's getting better, but what we need to do now is add that. So. With how would coaches like using the learning pad, and we'll put the learning, we'll put all the um, require like all the links and stuff like that in the show notes for all the coaches that are listening in, so they they can see it and understand the learning pit. But what can coaches do to kind of unleash that potential and empower those players and to get them through the learning pits? Because we've, yeah. if we've dropped them in, and you've talked about allowing them to. Um, is it really just that simple around just explaining the why and, and what we're and what we're doing? No, I mean that's part of it. I mean it's a small part of it, really, um, but it's an important part. I think there's there's so many factors, as we well know, and that's why we love studying, learning, and coaching. Is it is just just immense what there is. But I do think part of it is. If we're taking the long-term view here, if we are training a team over the long-term rather than just preparing them for the game on Saturday, if we're taking the long-term view, then what we're trying to do is help them, train them to be students of the game, to learn how to learn rugby, to not just be a good performer, but learn how to become a really good performer. So it is talking, it is helping them to understand the the parts to it so that they can think about it, so that they can work on it and work at it. Um, you know, if I go back to Bobby Charlton for a minute, he had four relatives, his mother and two uncles and I think... There was one other, anyway, there's four, um, were all involved in professional football. And at times, as a kid, he would go to football matches and one of them would be stood next to him and say, watch what that player does. Watch his start. When does he start sprinting? Watch his thinking where might the ball be and he's running to that space before the ball is even released. Watch what he's doing in his position. What's he doing there? He's, called, he's creating a triangle. Why is he doing that? And so it was, you know, people talk about him being as the most gifted players of generation. Well, flaming F. He, he had unbelievable, brilliant coaching as a kid, watching. And he was a student of the game. Problem is, he forgot all those lessons because he just put it all into 
into this embodiment and then he stopped studying it and just created it. And then he wasn't able to pass that on to someone else. You know, and so I think it is very important that we are, it's about challenge. We've got to go back to the pit. I need to make sure that my players, my students, my my colleagues are willing to step out of their comfort zone, willing to be in the learning pit and not just be in the pit and that's it. But be in the pit and keep working at it. Keep working at it till eventually you come out of the learning pit, and then reflect on that and what what caused us to go through that, and what did we learn from it, and what can we use next time. And then also, when we're in the pit, but also when we're out of the pit, breaking it down. What what helped us there? It's not just we did a good job. Not just yeah, grit and determination got us there. Well, that was part of it, I'm sure, but it wouldn't be the only part of the recipe. Surely, it would also have been. Um, all sorts of other factors. I mean, going back to the cooking again for a minute, I'm not into cooking, as I've mentioned, but I'm into photography. I'm properly into photography. And, I, and I've and i learned a lot. And I take some pretty good photos. The number of times people say, well, you must have a really good camera. I'm like, what? You don't say to the chef, well, you must have a really good oven. It's like, <laughs> what? It's like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, well, it, it, it's what you've done with it. And it's the composition and and the story you're trying to tell and the light and how you're using the light and and where you're placing the things and whether there's movement in it and so on and so on and so on and so on. So, on. so it's it's all of these aspects, you know. It, we can't just say to the kids, and I'm sure your coaches don't say that, but I've heard it again and again on the side of pictures and so on. Good effort, lads. Good effort, girls. You know, like what? Well, surely it was a bit more than effort, you know, and I understand that that's just a phrase that we use and presumably in the locker room, you break it down a lot more, but we have to be really, really clear about, you know, it is the challenge. It is willing to step out of your comfort zone. It is going into the learning pit. It is working out what other things that are going to help. But this is helping them to overcome challenge and what other things that we're going to do. So if your partner wants to actually become a decent chef, how are you going to help her to learn those? Now it might not be worth it. Why, why have a dog and bark yourself? You know, (laughs) she's with you. Just get the chef to do it. But you know, if she really was determined and she fancied it, well, you know, then you're going to take a different approach, you know, and you can say, well, let's try this. Let's start with this. And then she ought to be saying, but Ricky, why? Why do? Why should I put that first and not this first? Why? Why are you doing that with the the sauce? What? 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 How do you know how many spices, herbs to put in and so? There needs to be that sort of communication when you're in the pit, so that you're teaching them how to come out of the pit. It's not just grit and determination. That's a part of it, but it's not just the only thing. Yeah, for for me, and I wrote it down here. Uh, like, and I think you, like, I, I agree with you around the fact that we need to um, teach our players, like, to learn how to become learners of the game because that that kind of engages our their curiosity, right? It helps with that problem solving. It helps with them trying to figure out different solutions and ways to come around. And I remember when I was growing up, playing rugby I'd always try to think of like what are some ways that I can get I hated getting tackled I was the smallest 
person. I was had some. I was reasonably fast. I wasn't the fastest kid at school, but I was like, how do I get around players? Because I don't want to get tackled. And so that was kind of the, my curiosity around playing That's rugby. It was never around moving the ball or anything like that. It was always about me and how can I run around this person or how can I do that? How do what have you seen within the classroom that teachers have done to instill that within their students? Or what are some things that you've done within your experience to instill that that lifelong learner within them? Yeah. So that's when we're in the pit. It's teaching them how to respond. So it's, um, for example, written book upon book about book about the different strategies that we can teach them so you know how to use a venn diagram how to rank how to use a concept target um how to sequence ideas how to draw conclusions and so you you teach them how to problem solve how to figure it out in effect um I do think that all too often in the classroom, if we're talking about teaching, I think too often we, in effect, give them the one strategy that they use for this topic and then the kids do it. Rather than thinking, well, there's 20 different strategies here, now, with younger kids, there's three different strategies here. But th there are some strategies here that we could choose from, which is going to be the one that works better. How do we know that? Well, we could try two or three and see how, um, how each of them contribute to coming out of the pit. It's sort of the banana rama song. It's not what you do, it's the way that you do it. It's not how you say it. It's not... How what you say is how you say it is it's that sense of it's not solving the problem it's how do you solve it so that's what i'm doing as a teacher is i want to teach my students how to think as well as what to think so i'm not going to teach them about the viking invasion of britain i'm going to teach them how to study history and the topic this month is the Viking invasion of Britain. So it, it becomes, uh, I'm teaching them how to become learners. That's, does that make sense? It does. And instantly I'm thinking, like, and hopefully we can get him on as a, as a guest. As Marcus, uh, I'm trying to get his last name right, Marcus Dusatoy, he wrote a book called Thinking Better. He's a mathematician and has, okay. has um one of the most impactful people in his life was his maths teacher. And he talked around, and it's, this is why the story came to me as you were talking, is around different types of solutions. So the solution, the problem is, I want you, or the, the way that the story goes, is a teacher gave the students the task of, I want you to add up all the numbers from one to a hundred. And the teacher did that because the teacher just wanted some quiet time and they gave the kids a task and this and most of the kids would add them up one plus two plus three plus four all the way up to a hundred to try and get to the correct solution. But Marcus's mentor or 
he did it in a different way. His the way that he did it was he found a pattern that was happening, and then he shortcut mm. essentially shortcutted it to go well. One plus a hundred equals one hundred one, and then two plus ninety nine equals one hundred one. He found that pattern, and he's just like, well, I just need to figure that out, and then ended up becoming the answer is five thousand fifty, and it's just like the teacher didn't believe that he was able to answer the question that quickly because he did it 10 times or 100 times faster than any other child in the class was able mm. to do it. But it was that ability of them to find the solution that best worked for them to get to the answer that they need. And that's and hearing what you're saying is like, we're going to, I'm going to teach these students of mine to research and then the topic that they need to try that they're going to be doing mm. on is around the Viking invasion. And then you're going to find out, or they're going to mm. learn more around mm. that versus I'm guessing you regurgitating all the facts that you've researched around the Viking invasion. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um yeah. The so my kids, they all three of them belong to swim team. And it's fascinating. There as uh, there's a couple of kids who are coming through the ranks, and um, one, it's astonishing how much progress she's making. Astonishing. And um, she's just been to the national championships in Aberdeen, and I think came sixth place. I mean, the sixth fastest swimmer in Scotland. You know, it's pretty damn good going and she's a student of swimming so yes she trains five times a week yes and she works out and she takes care of nutrition and all that sort of thing but she also studies video after video after video she watches top performers and she then asks questions about them she looks at different ways to perform different starting uh, setups, different ways to to hold the head. I mean, it's just astonishing. And she, I, I mean, I think she might actually go all the way here. But most of the kids are turning up, doing the training that the coaches say, and then going home, just having a big dinner, and. They're doing pretty well. But can you imagine if you had students of the game, if most of them were students of the game, most of them were watching videos, most of them were thinking about tactics and positions and strategy and, and skills and training. I mean, the very, very, very best performers, they're playing morning, noon and night, aren't they? And they're playing yeah. against older players and they're, they're just out in the street day in, day out. And I, I, we're bemoaning the fact back in the UK about the, the lack of street kids these days. And not as in the Dickensian thing, but street kids as in you play morning, noon and night with your mate kicking the ball around, you know, throwing the ball around. And, you know, that's disappearing because it's too much chaperoning going on. And I think, um, where am I going with this? I think it's about... Number one is we've got to help them to be willing to get into the learning pit. 
But number two is, if we really want to make it brilliant, make it work, we have to teach them how to personally figure it out rather than be guided out. Now, of course, to start with, we're going to have to guide them out, guide them out, guide them out again and again and again. But if we can also teach them how to figure it out themselves, as you did, Ricky, you were figuring out, well, how the hell am I going to keep away from the bigger players? How am I going to make sure I don't get absolutely crumpled to it, you know? And, you know, using space well and using your speed well and so on. I mean, that's what we want, isn't it? But first of all, to create that, we have to create the situation where they are challenged. How how would you and they are willing to be challenged? Yeah, how would you do that in a way? Because I'm a bit like teachers and like in a school setting, like you can elicit them homework and be like, "Here you go. Here's some homework for you guys to go and do." We we kind of also want them to not see the sport in the game as a chore or that there's homework that they have to yeah, do. Yeah. How do you get it so that – what are some techniques that coaches can use to be like get them to do it on their yeah. curiosity and their own terms? Yeah, so it's got to be worth it. And, and kids will watch it. I mean, you know, if it's on TikTok, they'll watch it. You know, It's just like, you know, um, it's uh, – listen, I found this brilliant video and I've put it on here and – um just have a look at it and pop some thoughts in the chat below you know there has to be some sort of team element to it doesn't it so it's not like homework i'm not giving you homework but i found this great video just have a look at it and then pop some thoughts underneath you know so if it's on the platform that they can respond to because you see kids at least in my experience they don't just watch tiktok they watch tiktok and chat about it and share it and show each other. That's the point. It's the it's the it's the community element of it actually, because they're watching it to find the funniest thing, the best thing to share with their mate. It's not you have to go study that video, you know. So how are we going to get it where it becomes that community thing? Like, well, oh, look at this video and and pop some comments underneath. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And so there's that. Uh, yeah. The, what- Automatically, in, in my mind, I'm I'm imagining, like at a say a, a teenage team, it'd be like, can you go find, can you go find us a clip that you want to that you think could help our team that you'd like, yeah. like to share, yeah, and then, yep. and what is great about it, and then everybody else can drop their comments in a in a almost like a performance environment or. Um, or a little bit higher up or a pre-performance is like I need you to go find us one clip and I need you to talk about it and why do you think this is so important based on our upcoming yeah. game or or why did the results Perfect. go our way and so coming up with one clip's not as disastrous as, as kind of having to mm-hmm. 10 or 12 different clips and it's not forceful exactly through that whole thing they might bring their one clip but they'll probably watch the whole game or they've watched a number of different clips and they're trying to find the right one to share that's yeah it's got yeah, a yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely that's and and you can lot. reduce the um the the workload there by just it's taking in turns right i need two two of you to be it's this week two of you this week to find a video that you're going to share with everyone and tell us why 
Yeah. Right. Next to, next to, next to. So it's, so, and then it becomes a voluntary thing because it won't just be those two. There'll be loads of others because I know oh, right, in about three weeks' time, I'll probably be the one. So, and yeah. they start watching those videos and start talking about it. Yeah, exactly right, Ricky. I mean, that's, that's just building around it so that, yes, we're playing the game. Yes, we're physically active. Yes, we're, we're drilling and training and training, but we're also thinking. We're also thinking about it because we've got to work out how to figure it out. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's an awesome point, and I think that's an awesome point that we um we wrap this discussion up on, and we'll jump into our quick fire segment. Um, so you're inviting, and this might be um out of your comfort zone, and might be in your you might have to go into the pit here for a second, but you're inviting three people to dinner. Who are they, and what are you cooking? <laughs> I ain't cooking, mate. <laughs> so I'll invite you so that you can cook, right? Um, yeah, I mean, actually, I'm doing a lot of driving over here in Australia at the minute. I'm covering four states in three weeks. And, uh, so I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, and I would absolutely love Bob Mortimer. I mean, you probably don't even, maybe you've heard him, but he's like one of the funniest raconteurs on in the uk so i'm sorry to be a bit parochial for you there but yeah i mean bob i mean we would never ever ever run out of stuff to laugh about and and to and so on so yeah bob mortimer um you're there ricky um and then we've got a demasculine it uh, we can't have it all three blokes just you know so we'll have to get somebody i um there was a now what was she called and and this is another podcast but she um astonishing woman that i was listening to um God. yeah i'm gonna have to remember her name but um she so she's an irish woman who and she's a small person, three foot five. And she is a teacher. And um, in Ireland, to be a teacher, you have to also speak Irish. You have to learn Irish so that you can teach it in schools. And she realized there was no word in Irish for small people or a small person. And um, as a kid, during her Irish oral exam, she had to call herself a dwarf. And she absolutely you know, hated it, but she didn't want to get the it didn't want to get it wrong. You know, um Sinead Burke. And so she just got in touch with the uh the organization that protects the Irish language and she says, we need a, a word in Irish for this. And 48 hours later there was a word in Irish. Stunning, and I, I think she would she would really push us and test us and get us thinking. So that's a pretty good crew, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I That'd guess be an interesting dinner. I guess the, the dinner would be what do you what do I need to be cooking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and listen, you're you're the host, mate. So do something <laughs> brilliant, superb kiwi food. You know, bang some, get some fish in there as a lamb or something. Yeah, I know that sounds brilliant. The next question is. 
what is one of your favorite sporting memories? So it could either be you competing or you uh, you watching as a spectator. I, I, without a shadow of a doubt, was my the, the very first game I went to at St James's Park in Newcastle, nineteen February nineteen ninety seven. So I'd grown up in Yorkshire, and, and cricket was number one in Yorkshire. Yeah, uh, I was never really very good at cricket, um, and um, and then I moved around for different jobs, as I mentioned, and then I I washed up in uh, Newcastle. And I mean, it's just a one team city. And then back then, and actually now as well, there's 20 years of wasteland in between. But back then, um, New- the Newcastle football team were flying high. And um, they, in August 96, they just signed Alan Shearer for world record fee. And it was the the local boy had gone off, made his name, and it came back to his team. Yeah, world record fee, and um, and you couldn't get tickets for love no money. And anyway, I I, I was able to get in February nineteen ninety seven, and by half time there were three one down, and Shearer had done nothing, absolutely nothing, <laughs> and it was less like what the hell's this? Yeah. 75 minutes into the game, still 3-1 down. And then suddenly something happened and Shearer woke up. And by the time the full whistle, the full-time whistle went, he'd scored a hat-trick. Newcastle had won 4-3 and the place went bananas. I mean, it was the best party town I have ever witnessed in my life. It was it was like Rio de Janeiro in Newcastle. I mean, it was just bonkers and I will never, ever forget that. I could imagine that there'd be a few Shearer chants going around the around the oh. when that was happening. Oh my God! Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's what a beautiful memory. Um, who's a coach, mentor, or teacher that's had a a wicked impact on you? Um, there was only one teacher that I liked at high school, <laughs> um, and he was my chemistry teacher. And I hated chemistry, but he, it was something else because I hated school. And in lessons, if a teacher came anywhere close to where I was sat, I would cause a distraction. I would throw a pen or I'd flick something or I'd do something that would cause me to be kicked out of the class because what I was doing was making damn sure that the teacher didn't see that I hadn't done anything because I didn't understand what was going on. And so it's always, always, always better to be thought of as being naughty than to be thought of as stupid. So that was the classic defense mechanism. But with this uh, chemistry teacher, Mr. Evans, he was such an astute guy. He would wander over and say, well, you haven't put anything down on your paper yet. You must be thinking really hard about these ideas before you commit them to paper. And I'm like, uh, yeah. And he says, so uh, what? Which, which idea were you going for? He, was it? And then he would give me three options. And I'd say, uh, the middle one? And he says, right, well, crack on then, lad. Get it down on paper. I mean, he was a genius. He was the only teacher who kept me in class. 
And that's why I, my first job was in a chemical factory. I mean, I hated it, yeah. but he, he was the one and only teacher who kept me in lessons. What a genius. He found a way to help me to connect. It's, it's, Brilliant. it's incredible. And I love, I know it's quick fire, but I really love that question because I think there's, there's so many times that coaches and mentors and teachers have had such an impact on people. And sometimes you don't get to kind of thank them or don't get to mention their names or that was the last time that, you know, that last encounter was the last time that you, you talked about them. But I think that's such a cool um, yeah. story that you shared with us. Uh, what's one bit of advice you'd give a young James starting out in his teaching education career? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, stop, stop stuffing up. Um, starting out in my teaching career. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Wow. You know what, Ricky? I, I've got a thousand regrets, but I don't know if I regret very much to do with my teaching career. I loved every moment of it, and I still love what I do. I don't love the travel at all. I don't love that I've got a thousand k to drive after this call. But um, yeah, in terms of teaching, there's not many professions I think that are as important as teaching, coaching, encouraging yeah. our young people to be to become who they're going to become. So, would it be a bit too much to say? I'd say keep at it. You're on the right path. Yep, that's perfect. Um, what would be your go-to activity? Uh, you're about to do a seminar. What's your go-to activity that you'd do with the uh, with the teachers or the, the educators that are going to be in that room? Yeah. One of the, uh, well, it depends on the context, depends what we're trying to think about, learn about, and so on. But one activity that I, I quite enjoy, and if it's the right context, it works pretty well. And that is, right, in groups, come up with nine jobs or professions. You know, so it might be rugby coach, it might be teacher, it might be lawyer, it might be binman, I don't know come up with nine and then once they've done that say right rank them and they're like we can't rank people well why not well because we're all valuable to society and i said well when did i say rank them according to value to society i just said rank them you know you decide the criteria and so a lot of them will say oh you can't and they'll just list them alphabetically i said but an alphabetical list isn't ranking them. And when they get to that point of being in the pit and they're like, oh, what, oh, what we're supposed to, then they say, well, hang on a minute. What are some of the criteria we could use? How about rank them according to the average number of footsteps they take in the day? Rank them according to um, your starting salary or 
um, the number of qualifications you need or the percentage of women in that uh, it's a fabulous because you can see them get really frustrated, but then they think, well, there is a way. And my all time favorite, I did it actually with a group of teenagers. I think they were like year nine kids, something like that. And they ranked them according to uh, which profession could you pretend to be good at for the longest before you got found out. <laughs> and they put teacher at number one, the kids, <laughs> the absolute kids. <laughs> but uh, and that's it's a, just a really nice thing this ranking and it, it just causes them to go into the pit and to think and and then they realize courses away of course there's a way around it yeah and then they start to be really creative it's lovely to see no that's that's a cool activity um that might be a cool one to do for for one of our next coaching courses or, or seminars that there we you go um and what does being an educator mean to you passion sharing a passion sharing a passion education comes from the latin educare which means to draw out and if we take that approach we're drawing out their inner strength we're drawing out their talents we're drawing out their intellect we're drawing out their passion we're drawing out that which makes them human that which makes them a good person a, a good scholar, a good sportswoman or sportsman. You know, it's, it's, yeah, I think that education, it's about, yeah, drawing out all of those qualities. Yeah. I know that's, um, perfect way to finish this pod. James, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I know that I said it at the start as I was a bit starstruck when you, when you jumped up because we have been using the learning pattern, talking about the learning pattern and it's been humbling to um, obviously have this conversation and to have some dialogue over, over emails and stuff like that. So really appreciate the time and, and I guess the knowledge and experience that you've shared with our, our listeners today. So yeah, hopefully the trip down to Victoria uh, goes well for you and the rest of your tour over in Australia. And, thank you. Um, yeah, the next time you're in New Zealand, Thanks, if you're okay. in Christchurch, you're more than welcome to come around home and I'll definitely be on the, uh, I'll put the apron on and I'll be there you go. the stove. Good man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to be over the Tasman uh, end uh, January next year, so I'm going to look you up. Yeah, yeah, please do. It was an incredible chat and, yeah, like I, I can't keep, I'm pinching myself throughout this whole conversation because it was just amazing to hear James and and his passion for learning, I think is is the thing that really shone through. And he he gave us so much wisdom and knowledge around how as coaches we can help unleash that potential that we see in our players, and that it's okay to allow them to fail. And his two points around challenge, around understanding people, like is it worth it to them, and then that the performance will drop. Those are such potent points around challenge. And, and so if anything from this conversation that you had, that you heard from James, we as coaches, we just need to consider that challenge part and we need to start breaking down and getting our players to understand why and then develop them and creating them into becoming learners of the game. And the sooner we, we create them to become learners of the game, the sooner that they'll be able to get out onto the pitch and, 
express themselves and to be able to create some magic um, and to really unleash that potential of their own. So, yeah, I love this conversation and I hope you enjoyed it as well. If if you did enjoy it, um, as per, I'd love it for you to share it to um, anyone that you think would seek benefit in, in this conversation and, um, yeah, would love to get your feedback and um, if you can chuck a rating up on wherever you're listening to these podcasts um, would be hugely appreciative because, yeah, the more, I guess, the more feedback and the more ratings we get, the higher up on the charts we go and the higher up on the charts we go, the more notice that we're going we're gonna to get from this podcast and the more coaches and whoever um, is listening are going to be able to see it and, and learn from them. So, yeah, really appreciate you come picking, um, picking us to be in your earways today.